What's good? What's good, fam? Welcome back to another episode of Reimagining Youth Work. Today is kind of a special episode, and I'm actually dropping it special. Um, so I usually drop every other Wednesday, but this one is dropping July 20th, which is uh, my wife, Gail Weston Surden's birthday. I wanted to sit down with her for a number of reasons. One of the most important reasons um, was because of her positionality. Um, anyone who actually knows the work we do at Iman knows that, you know, Gail is definitely the secret sauce behind of all, all of our music and arts programming. Um, and she's one who doesn't like the limelight, so you won't hear a lot from her ever in that respect. But if you are ever in those rooms, we're running those programs, or if you're one of those young people um, who've experienced those programs, then you know um, what she's capable of accomplishing. But one of the, again, one of the most important reasons I want to talk to her was positionality, who she is as a white woman, as a white teacher, as a white mentor. One of the questions I get all the time um, from white folks when I'm doing training is, you know, I'm white. How do I still connect? How do I do this work and do this work well, do this work in an anti-racist way? And there, for me, there are few examples, right, that are better than Gail Weaston certain and the work that she's been able to accomplish over the course of years with black and brown students. Um, so this episode is actually, I'll warn you, a little bit longer than others, not because the talk I had with Gail, but because I wanted to pull in some of the student voices, some of her um, protégés, some of her former students who have gone on in the music industry. I wanted to hear them talk about how she has impacted their lives, their career. And also I wanted them to speak directly to how is she different um, from, from other white teachers you've had experiences with, from other white mentors you've had experiences with? And you will hear several things um, about her, but one consistent thread is that she's authentically herself and that she really does, she is intentional about getting to know her young people and about respecting and valuing them uh, for who they are. So definitely hear out what the young people have to say. Definitely hear out what Gail has to say about her own musical experiences, how she would had the benefit of having several mentors in her life musically, and also just how she invests in young people and what she believes young people can accomplish in the music and arts world. All right, y'all, let's get it. This is Dr. Tori weeston certain and you're listening to Reimagining Youth Work. What's good, what's good, what's good, fam? Today I have a very special guest, Dr. Gail Weston certain She is the author of that jingle, just in case you didn't listen uh, to, the, to the trailer of this podcast. She created the jingle that you just heard. She is a distinguished guest, not just because she's my wife, although that's very important to me, but because she is one of those sort of unsung unspoken elements of the Youth Mentoring Action Network. And there's so much that she has to offer us in terms of jewels and gems and what she does. And so it's really important that I got to sit down and talk with her. And she's she's very quiet. She's very, <laughs> she's the one between the two of us that doesn't like to do the interviews, any of that. So I feel very thankful that she's here speaking with me today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the invitation. 
Now, Dr. Gail Wiesten-Certain is a graduate of the University of Southern California's prestigious Thornton School of Music. She has a doctorate of musical arts and jazz studies with minors in music education and electroacoustic media. Equally musician and educator, Gail's sound spans generations and includes a powerful combination of jazz, funk, soul, blues, and hip hop. And outside of what she does in the college classroom, in the high school classroom, she also runs all of the music pro programming for the Youth Mentoring Action Network. I'm excited to talk to you about all of this. Thank you. <laughs> so I wanted to start off by asking you questions just about your own musical history. I know that your dad brought home an organ when you were four years old. Talk about your experience growing up in music. A Hammond, a Hammond <laughs> organ, so a little spinet. Um, he brought this home in his station wagon. He pulled up. I'm not sure if my mom knew what was going on. She's just like, what is that, Bill? And um, so it came in the house, and we you know, fired her up and uh, started playing it, and my sister and I both. And I think that um, they recognized and realized that we had talents. And so shortly after a piano uh, came, I'm not <laughs> sure from where, but uh, it was a Baldwin spinet, okay. and uh, there you have it. Yeah. So at four years old, your dad had already recognized that you had some sort of musical ability and no lessons, just you started playing. Yeah, I think that was because they played a lot of 78s. So okay. my mom and dad um, were dancers. They loved to dance. And so um, they played a lot of records. They loved music. My, my father was uh, Serbian, and so we, my sister and I both played in the Tamburitsa, the Tamburitsa Orchestra at church. I played the Prima, my sister played the Brach, and nice. uh, we were trained by Vasil Serlenica, who's a famous, famous string player from that heritage. And so uh, they made sure that we both were involved in music. My sister was a phenomenal classical guitarist. She doesn't play much anymore, but um, she probably still could be phenomenal. <laughs> so you're raised in this sort of musical culture from the time that you're four. And when do you start getting lessons? Well, I think shortly after um, mom looked up somebody here in town in Upland. Um, this is a brilliant woman. Her name is Ellie Ward. She just recently passed. Uh, Ellie Ward Studios on 9th Street in Upland. And she trained many, many uh, folks in this area and continued that her entire life. Um, the beautiful thing about Ellie is that there was no stopping her. She was my first mentor. I can say this. Um, she was an innovator and a master. She had so many organs and pianos in her house, she could not move. It was quite funny. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's interesting is not only did she give private lessons to young people in this area as it grew, um, but she uh, taught classes. And I don't think a lot of people were familiar with yeah. bringing a bunch of young people in and teaching music classes. Um, later on, she made sure that a bunch of us got involved in what was called Young Organist Association. <laughs> there were yes. many chapters all over the United States. Um, we played concerts all over the place, uh, her studio. And um, 
she used to load an organ up in her RV and she would drive us to different places and the <laughs> organ would come off and we'd give these spontaneous concerts and cool. she'd take us to places to play pipe organs and uh, organ powered pizza places. So they had pipe organs in pizza parlors wow. at that time. Um, so, yeah. That's pretty awesome to be a young person whose passion is music and to basically have a community of folks supporting that passion. Yes, and um, actually a, a lot of us in Young Organist Association are still teaching young people um, in and out of this area. I can tell you that, that Ellie Ward's daughter, Linda, Linda Aker is still teaching in the area. Yeah. And also my, my very dear friend, Tracy Taylor, she's also teaching in this area. Yeah. That's awesome. I think, you know, I, I hear so many students these days say that their parents don't want them to become artists. And so when I hear a story like yours with your parents bringing home an organ at four and, you know, getting you lessons and making sure that you're connected to a community of musicians. I mean, again, that must just have been a beautiful experience to be so supported and so loved and so respected for what you wanted to do. Yes, it, it is. Yeah. And I'm, I wish more young people had that opportunity. I do, too. Yeah. But you're providing that in a way. I so, hope so. <laughs> so hope let's so. talk a little bit about what you're doing in your high school classroom as a music educator. You just got a brand new sort of state-of-the-art classroom. Talk about that experience and talk about what you're doing with that. It's brilliant. So I was the piano lab teacher. And, um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people don't recognize that we need to move forward with younger people. And it's one great thing to have a foundational experience in learning how to play the piano. And uh, when I started there, there were 32 full-size digital pianos in one room. Wow. So um, that's that was the foundation for my teaching experience. As we move through a decade, mm -hmm. I see that it's very important for students to have um, an opportunity to compose and also to record. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you understand how we've moved into the um, college realm, their expectations aren't like they were for me yeah. where you send a cassette tape right. <laughs> and um, a little written blurb and then you have an interview and all. It's very important at, in this digital age that they are able to make music videos, that they're able to compose, lay down tracks, all sort of things. So uh, we use notational software as well as um, a very powerful app. Yeah, so you have pianos, you have Mac computers in yes. your lab, you've got recording software, logic, and all kinds of cool things. So the young people get the full experience of really like everything from recording to engineering. Yes. And you teach them all of these things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, in high school, I'm not a musician, but I imagine that if I were in high school and I want to be a musician, that would be the class I'd want to spend all my time in. It's very fun. Yeah. We, have, we have a very good time. And tell me a little bit about Boomwhackers, just oh, because funny. I think that's a special component in your classroom, too. It is. Um, I think when I learned about these, I was at the NAMM show, and I went by one of the booths, and I said, what are these tubes? And then, you know, scientifically, they make uh, sounds and create pitches, depending on the length of 
the tubes. Um, and so I bought a set and asked if some people in class would be interested as an extension of Piano Lab. Yeah. Um, and they just went wild. And we had our first boomwhacker group yeah. uh, to create boomwhackery. Yeah. And these are tubes. Yes. That you just hit. Uh-huh. And they create sound That's pitches, yeah. depending on the length. And yeah. So everyone has a note. Yes, and it, sometimes they have more than one note they're okay. responsible for, but it's a complete, you can get a complete chromatic scale um, of, of these. Yeah, yeah, pretty neat. So you think of all of these really, you know, the reason I wanted to talk about that is because you think of all these really cool ideas that keep kids engaged in music and give them outlets to express themselves, to be themselves. Yes, and I think it's difficult to... Um, create a classroom in this day and age that everything is moving so quickly mm -hmm. um, when you want to teach foundational material in this class mm -hmm. um, the youth want to move quick so you have to find different ways to teach True. them the foundational material that it's not necessarily more fun mm -hmm. but maybe they're having fun and don't realize they're learning a whole lot right so I guess I'm kind of, I don't know, giving him the business in a different way. I don't know. I love it. I love it. So I want to, since we're talking about your classroom, I also want to talk about equity in the classroom a little bit with you. And I want to raise that issue because, you know, so many times when I'm going around the country and I'm training folks about equity issues and equity in education, um, inevitably, and it's usually a white woman, you know, will raise their hand in the audience and say, you know, I'm a white woman. How do I do this work? How do, how do I, you know, due to my position, who I am, how do I engage? And I know me personally, I always point to you as an example. Um, I don't know whether you're cool with that or not, <laughs> but um, tell me what it is that you do in the classroom that could help other folks learn and understand how to be a better co-conspirator, how to be a better ally. You really need to listen to everybody, you know. Um, and I think before going any further with this conversation, mm -hmm. you need to be willing to, to do self-work. Mm -hmm. And you need to um, figure out who you are. And um, then in the classroom, of course, when I say listen, mm -hmm. um, I think it's very important to, you know, create relationships with students mm -hmm. that are long lasting, you know, um, it's not just about them taking the class for the year. You're, you're trying to create a foundation for them to maybe go on and do this for a living or pieces of it for a living, or just because they enjoy it, but they'll continue beyond that experience in the classroom. Yeah. Um, so it's really about, creating healthy relationships with young people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the music doesn't hurt. The music component is sort of something that connects everyone, yeah? Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. You know, it's they, they say it's a universal language, but it, it's much deeper than that because learning about what young people want out of the classroom, that's all about critical mentoring. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not telling them what they should learn all the time and talking at them, you're actually 
asking if they will tell you what they want to learn. And that works really well because it's a give and take rather than, like I say, talking at them, which is not something that's very effective, especially when you have teenagers in the classroom. Truth. You know, they're so loving, though. They're great folks. I know people always are, you know, oh, you teach teenagers like you teach high school. But those kids, they're like big teddy bears. I think they're the best. (laughs) So your connection with young people in music, is that um, all the hip hop influence that you have? Like, talk about that, because I've seen you in the classroom teaching kids Tupac, Dr. Dre, J. Cole on the piano. The kids light up. It's so exciting. But then it's also sort of a part of your musical experience too i I hear a lot of black music um your your work has a lot of black music um, in terms of inspiration or yes well um i love jazz i'm not sure if i like that word yes but i love the fact that i have been in love with jazz since i listened to those 78s that mom and dad had and they used to dance um ballroom dancing Uh, in front of the best of the best of the best. You know, um, my mom would sit at a table with the Mills brothers. Um, They were military folks. So, you know, they would dance in front of Duke Ellington's group. And um, it's pretty incredible when you look look back and see who they were around. Um, But I think as I've taught in the classroom for the length of time that I've been there, because I'm willing to listen to young people, they don't always want to have the same foundational material that I had growing up mm. learning the piano. Right. And so you have to make connections. And Bach and Tupac have very similar ideas in their music. Yeah. So we do a lot of analysis, but I also write a lot of music out, and I don't use method books because I think that they um, compartmentalize too much. So I try to bring in all the materials that I've had over the span that I've, you know, played. And uh, I try stuff out constantly. There's not a file cabinet that you pull out a drawer and this is what we teach week one, two, three, four, five in my classroom. So um, it's different every year. And uh, I love that because young people are different every year. Yeah, this is true. And that's good teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So I was... um, you know, I was going through your website because I wanted to be professional about this interview. And remembering you did this really cool podcast episode with Pete Falico, and there's a quote on your website where he says, um, as both a working musician and high school music teacher, Dr. Certain brings an unselfish perspective to the funky jazz organ music she plays. And he's referencing your last album, White Woman, Black Music. He goes on to say, always with her students in mind, she includes the younger interpretations of today's music and embraces the possibilities that arise. Wow. Yeah. So I'm I'm reading that and I'm thinking, yeah, that's exactly what you do. (laughs) But talk more about how you do it. I think we all wanna we all wanna understand what's happening in your brain. How do you do that? That's very humbling. Um I think I listen to a lot of young people's music which can be mine. Mm -hmm. So I make it mine in certain places. Um, So when I'm writing, I include that thought. And I think it does come across in in the music on my album, this last album, because um, 
I'm actually trying to get the point across how important equity is. And I think in my writing, you can hear that. Mm -hmm. um, there is spontaneous composition going on uh, throughout the album, yet we have a skeleton of what it was that I thought I would like to get across to the listener. Yeah. Um, fabulous musicians. And again, we went into a studio and in two days recorded an album. We didn't do the splicing thing. And I don't think that's a term they use today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's the reel-to-reel -reel term. Some people do still record reel-to-reel. -reel, but, that's you true. know, we, we played live on purpose so it would be organic. Mm -hmm. And... I think that our young people are very organic. They like the live thing in the classroom too. Yeah. So why not use it when recording? Yeah. And I should just note um, really briefly that Pete Falico, he does a podcast called Doodlin' Lounge, Doodlin Lounge. And he actually interviews all the jazz and blues greats. So, you know, for him to have contacted you and said, you are amazing on the Hammond organ. And I need to interview you among, you know, Jimmy Smith and all of these other cool people he's interviewed is pretty amazing. Ah, Tori. <laughs> she don't like to gas herself up, y'all. So I'll have to do it here and there. <laughs> Pete's a great guy. He's really made uh, some great opportunities for all of us to really to listen to the stories that folks have to tell about this incredible instrument. You know, um, if you did go to college and you wanted to play organ, it was usually the pipe organ. Mm -hmm. It was never, you can get a degree playing the Hammond B3 right. and I'm a rapper. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, so it's important to me to carry on this tradition and a lot of young artists are still playing the B3. Yeah. It's a phenomenal instrument and you really have to know what you're doing because you have to, um, instead of pressing a button and getting a sound, you use these draw bars and you basically create shapes and those shapes shape sound. And uh, it it's just wild yeah. all the way around. Yeah. So you kind of got into it, but I do have to ask you about your special relationship with him. And I mean, I know that your dad, that was the first organ that he brought home when you were four years old. But the Hammond is also pretty cool just in, in the context of our conversation because it is traditionally a black church organ. And so it kind of goes hand in hand with your with your respect for black music. I mean, you have such a really, you have just a, a beautiful relationship with the Hammond organ. You're a Hammond-sponsored artist. Can you talk a little more about the sound of the organ, how it makes you feel when you play? Even the barefoot, like the, the you know, the way you handle the, the pedals. It's um, it creates an electricity that truly um, goes through your body, that sound. It's a soulfulness that, you know, I say all the time, um, the name of my band is on the, soul, on the soul level, and it is. It's all on the soul level. Um, how do you explain that? I don't think one can. You have to experience it. Um, I know that when I was 15 years old, uh, there was a gentleman that said, his name's Desi, and he's still alive. Desi Nelson, I love this dude. He said, uh, come on into the store, because I was playing some concerts for digital Hammond organs. Okay. And uh, come on in, and I'm going to give you a sales job. And 
So I sold pianos and organs at a very young age. I played concerts at that time, but I also met really the first lady of the Hammond organ. I know that they talk about Ethel Smith a lot, but you know, I'm biased. My teacher was Rosemary Bailey and look her up. She's a phenomenon. So Rosemary Bailey was my teacher um, on the Hammond organ. I played for years under her tutelage. Um, then when I started going to college, I got interested, uh, in, especially when I was at Dick Grove School of Music um, up in Studio City. There were a lot of jazz clubs still. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we would get done at school and we'd go on over to Carmelo's and Jimmy Smith would be playing. I mean, you can't, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> yes. So uh, I got to see a lot of folks play um, that organ. And, it continued. I fell absolutely in love probably in the last 15 years with Dr. Lonnie Smith. Mm. Um, he's it for me. And there's nobody that plays like him. And to make that connection of young people um, and an instrument that's a little older, yeah. uh, we have hip hop artists that are sampling Dr. Lonnie Smith yep. albums because yep. he has so many albums out. A Tribe Called Quest, classic classic song on their album, Dr. Lonnie Smith Simple. Yep. So he plays everything and he wants to be involved with all people. It doesn't matter what age you are, as long as you love music and you want to, you know, music is life, yeah. then that's what he's all about. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I just wanted to emphasize this, too. So not only did the adults in your life support your musical journey, support you as an artist, but they employed you. They gave you a job to do what you love to do. Yeah, my mom was funny. She was actually the one that took me. We had malls back then, yeah. and there had they had organ piano stores in the malls, and I worked at the West Covina Fashion Plaza, and we would... Um, my, my mom and I would go in there and she went up to this guy, Desi, and said, my daughter needs a job and she's the best player. And, you know, on and on and on yeah. how parents do. And um, he said, oh, OK. And uh, in my mom's military voice, that's why he had to say, OK. Yeah. And anyhow, that's a joke. But um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then your mom also supported you putting an album out at 16? Yeah, my mom and dad paid for it. Yeah, it was called The Fascinating Fingers oh. of Gail Certain. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love it. Yeah. But, but that's kind of cool, too, that, you know, they, they took the time. You went to a studio, and this was on yeah. a Hammond. I went to a house of a dentist. Okay. And John Nagel okay. in Riverside had um, besides being a dentist he loved music and he had all these instruments in his home and a recording studio and ellie ward took me over to john nagel's house we recorded the album there and then i was able to go into los angeles and see the pressing process all of that of the vinyl and stuff but um mom said you got to sell these because you have to pay me back (laughs) You know, the old school thing. You got to borrow money and pay it back. Yeah. So, and we, you know, I did. We did. But I still, it was, she didn't want to be paid back. You know, I think yeah. it's pretty darn cool to have uh, parents that are willing to do that. My father passed yeah. away. He did get to see the album. 
Um, but he was also involved in, in wanting that to happen too. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that again, it, it, I just keep pointing out this idea of how, you know, the a, a whole community of adults around you just really supported what you wanted to do. I think that's just going to be a key takeaway from this episode because it's how you become who you are. And it's the same thing that, you know, you're now passing on to your music legacy, the next generation. You're doing that for the next generation of musicians. I hope so. Yeah. So speaking of the next generation of musicians, I want to talk about the amazing musicians that you've helped to support. And, you know, again, I, I kind of always brag about this because I think it's so cool, but you've got these really famous <laughs> musicians who started off in your classroom, like walked in, you know, onto your high school campus, had never played piano a day in their life, took your piano class or your music appreciation class. And now they're like touring with Charlie Pluth and Jadena and um, working with Beyonce and, you know, just really cool things that some of your students are doing. Um, film scoring, just like really awesome things. How, how does it feel to be that level of a music mentor and to kind of be the secret behind some of the pop music that we listen to today? Like no one knows that there's a link between you and the guy who produced Frank Ocean. I mean, that's pretty awesome. It's very humbling. <laughs> as much as it might be exciting, it's very humbling. Yeah. Because I remember when they came into the classroom and it's this idea of critical teaching, critical mentoring, understanding equity. Who are these folks? What do they want out of the class? It's not just teaching at them. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I can tell you stories about every single one of them because they're pretty, pretty cool stories. Uh, you know, they if, if they're writing for Disney film, yeah, okay, yeah. that happened because he sat down and was working with music software. So all of this was an evolution and in, in it, in it started building, building, building back then to, yeah, we need more than just pianos in the classroom. Yeah. You know, one of my students, um, he's an incredible instrumentalist. Yes, he started out on piano, mm -hmm. but he plays everything, everything, you know. Um, Again, it, it's inspiring, uh, but it's very humbling because they're really, really good. And I want to tell parents how important it is to support your young people or your, your yeah. whoever they are, right. you know, and letting them go about their dream because uh, it can it can work. They just they need to they need to want to work hard right. and they need to want to do more than just play the instrument. That's really ultimately what they need to yeah. want to do. Yeah. And that's an incredible music legacy of yours that, you know, generations to come people, and even now like Grammys, you know, billboard charts, like we're listening to music that was directly influenced by your, by the educational experience that you provided someone. And they influenced me. Yeah. And it's a give and take. You. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it totally is. I got a lot out of my students, you know, the jingle. Yeah. I, I don't know how that <laughs> happened except for it appeared itself in my head. Yeah. And uh, I'm telling you that's young people jingle. Yeah. 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 One of the incredible things that you did for, for us as the Youth Mentoring Action Network, I mean, you really 
were the brain behind our music programming and making sure I know for you, it was really about, again, providing young people with the opportunity to study music and to have the experience at the highest level possible. You're very disciplined in terms of your art. So I definitely see that coming through on the programming. But also just, you know, music has become such a, a key component of the Youth Mentoring Action Network because of you. So why is music or why should music be an important part of everyone's youth work? Because... Being a creative is so important to young people. And again, not putting them inside of a box and compartmentalizing everything and saying, this is what you have to do. Um, I think that, you know, just talking about another one of my students um, who is our, our um, student right now. Yeah. Can I say Jordan? Yeah. So uh, she won our Jordan Wings oh, yeah. scholarship, our first folk to, to have yeah. that happen. And um, she's an amazing musician. But what this is the, the give and take I'm talking about. Right. So I recorded a tune on the album, White Woman Black Music, called What If. Yep. She listened to that and said, I want to do a remake of it. Right. And these kids in Iman, they're not kids, young people in Iman, right. said, let's go into the studio. We're going to record today. So we all drive into L.A. and they get in that studio. And I've never seen anything happen like this. It was organic, complete brilliance. And it just kept going yeah. for quite a few hours, yeah. right, with no break. And these young people recorded this tune wrote and Morgan wrote lyrics to it. Yep. And one of the things that I wanted to say is, you know, the lyrics are very telling. So if we're talking about young people, right, you need to listen to these lyrics. It's not only the music cool, but the lyrics will play on and continue to be um, honest youth voice right. uh, forever, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, and being there during that process, I remember being so proud because you guys were having a musical exchange that, you know, certainly I didn't understand as a non-music, you know, music person in the group. But you were teaching them about like what even constitutes a remix and musical changes that they could make and, you know, sort of directing in terms of, you know, I remember James was on organ and Shane yeah. was on piano and just the synergy that you guys, that you all built together, there's so many lessons in that because there was a safe space, there was a learning space, there was definitely, you know, a, a vibe, you know, as the kids would call it, there was, there was soul work happening. I felt like it was healing too. Like there was, there was therapy yeah. attached to it. Yeah. It was definitely therapy. Um, it's interesting to know how much an art form can move people, mm -hmm. I'm gonna cry. And the reason I, I get so emotional about this is because all young people come from all different places, right? Yeah. But they can all come together and do such incredible things. Yeah. Like we couldn't have written that down. Yeah. There was nothing written down and it was basically they went in and just worked so well together. It was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. And I know you're centering the young people and I respect and value that, but they would not have done that without your guidance. Love them all. 
glad they had that opportunity. My folks always said, if you go to college and you're able to finish, you need to always give back to the community. And that's what I hope to do. And there is no better way to do that than working with Youth Mentoring Action Network. Thank you. Um, and the critical side is so important as far as the intergenerational dialogue that goes on between us and um, the youth centrism. Right. You know, it's all about young people getting stronger and moving forward. Absolutely. And you're definitely helping to do all that. Thank you. So how does how does your work and we've kind of touched on a little bit, but explicitly for the audience, how does your work help to reimagine youth work? Well, I hope um, that when they listen to me play, that they hear what possibilities there are. I'm not a great speaker. I prefer to play music, mm -hmm. and that's how I communicate. And I think that that's really very, very important that we know that youth can listen. Mm -hmm. And there's big gains here yeah. on, on both sides. Yeah. That's, I hope that's what reimagining will bring, yeah. is that creative listening. Absolutely. So my last question is about what the future of youth work looks like. If, you know, if you could dream big, what would the future of youth work look like? Youth work, the future of youth work. We have to let them run. And whether that's running fast, running like the medium jog, <laughs> or can't really get interested in exercising, that begin and run. Um, that's very important to this process. And we have to sit back and let them move forward. We're the guides. Yeah. And uh, that's really what I think about the future of youth work. And it's a hard thing to guide because you want to do everything for them. And yeah. that's not what critical mentoring is about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me again. As I said earlier, I know that, you know, you're always the person in the background. You don't like to do the interviews. You don't like to do the podcast episodes. But I knew how important you have been and continue to be to growing the Youth Mentoring Action Network, to educating generations of young people, to supporting future musicians and artists and I just so value and respect who you are as a person, as a musician, as an educator. And I knew there were things that we could learn from you. So I thank you. I appreciate you. I, I respect you, married or not married. I, I respect you as a colleague. You're, a, you're an amazing professional, and I'm, and I'm thankful to be able to work with you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. And it's one of the biggest joys in my life to work with Iman. And it's even a bigger joy to know uh, you. <laughs> and to understand that, man, I've never met anybody that works as hard as you do for everybody else. Um, so I'm glad that you're taking care of yourself, uh, that self-care is part of what you do. Yeah. 
I'm glad during this pandemic that you're available to so many young people so that they're able to move forward successfully. But your, your work is it, Tori. And, and I'll, I'll do whatever I could possibly do. Um, being married to you or not married to you, right? Yeah. The same thing. This is separate. And I just believe in it so much. I really do. And thank you for uh, letting me tell my story. <laughs> thank you for being here. Thank you. So, y'all, we have been listening to Dr. Gail Weston Certain, musician, musician, music educator extraordinaire. She's everything, y'all. I'm biased, but it's also very true. She dropped a lot of gems during this episode, but I couldn't end this episode without hearing from some of the young people she's inspired. So hold on a minute. You're going to hear from a couple of young people that are now working in the industry that have had the opportunity to work with her and learn from her. And I really wanted to be able to interview a couple of her students, just a few, because I think she has many hits, as I would call them. Um, but I wanted to interview just a few of her students to hear from them specifically how her mentorship, her guidance over the years has benefited them, and also what they have to say about how she shows up um, as a white woman in educational spaces and in mentoring spaces. The first guest that I have with me is Michael Michael Uzoruru. I've been so nervous about pronouncing this brother's Got name <laughs> correctly. But he is one of uh, one of Gail's early students. I think between you and Danny, actually, mm -hmm. um, you guys were around the same time, weren't you? Well, Danny was probably before you. Older than me. Yeah. So um, Michael is responsible for a lot of the hits that you know and love, and I'm going to let him talk a little bit about that. So Michael, just first tell us a little bit about who you are and you know all the hits that you've been behind. Hook, <laughs> hook us up with your credits. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm a producer, musician, artist, and um, some of the people I've worked with are Beyonce, Frank Ocean, Jay-Z, SZA, Anderson Pac, um, some others. Something I just recently did was scoring the music for Michelle Obama's documentary on Netflix. Yes. The only reason I watched it, by the way, was to listen to your music. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was an, that was an interesting one to to work on. Anything political is always is always interesting. Obviously, you know, there's there's just like the whole political aspect of things, but then you know you can't deny the black excellence that is mm -hmm. Michelle Obama. That's you know absolutely I mean? so that's, true. That's one of the reasons to do something like that. Um, and yeah, so those are some of like the most recent things I've done, and. Um, I really got <clears throat> a lot of my foundation and my start from working with Miss Serdan in school and some of the programs that she put in. Um, specifically, like really the biggest one was probably music appreciation. That that was mind mind changing and, and life changing as well. What was mind changing about it? Like, talk a little bit about that. Nobody in school ever ask you to talk about music, I hear period, you. Yeah. period. Nobody in school for me gave me a place to 
explore my passions and to learn more about my passions and give me, um, that was probably one of the only classes in my whole high school tenure that I got an A in. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> that, and it, it, that, it was just like, that was a class I can go to talk about music, learn about music. And then also like, that was one of the few classes where I could really be like an expert, you know? Mm. And I remember when she started talking about like sampling and like, you know, most people who probably have a music appreciation class probably would only just talk about like classical music, yeah. things that are like deemed as like um, respectable. Yeah. But um, she was willing to, you know, go more into contemporary and like uh, relevant topics like sampling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then also mixing that with like the knowledge of classical and jazz and just like all forms of music and all over the place. Um, so for me, when she started talking about like sampling specifically, that was like, as like a young black kid who was super into like, you know, music and like yeah. production and hip hop and like rap, making beats. It's just like, I know all about this already. <laughs> I can be that that kid in class who's just like raising their hands and just almost being obnoxious with all the answers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, there's not, there wasn't many classes like that for somebody who had the type of mind that I had, which was like a very creative mind, a very open-minded mind. And like, it just felt like it was the type of class for somebody who wasn't supposed to be in the super traditional antiquated mm. uh academic system that was in place i hear you on that so i mean man so that's already a lot just yeah know, kind of the space that she created as a teacher but i mm -hmm. know that she also has a special place in her heart for you uh as another musician right as a young person yeah. so talk about a little bit about the mentorship side like how your relationship with her has impacted like who you are as a musician, your career today? I think she was and is just someone like, you know, bef before any of anything, you know, person to person is the most impact that you can have on anybody, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a football coach and you're a coaching star quarterback, who you are to that person is going to be the biggest um, aid in their success. Mm. If you are a science teacher and you're teaching someone who is getting ready to go to college, who you are to that person is going to be the real thing that is going to, to impact them and who they go on to be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So just who she was to me as a person outside of just being like a teacher was really the thing. And I think for me, being an accountable person, using your like quote unquote authority or seniority to show compassion and thoughtfulness and care rather than um, discipline power dynamics and things of like that, mm. which I, I can see is something that um, when you just have those examples, it makes it easier for you to do that for other people. It makes it easier for you to be a mentor when you have 
a teacher who you have to spend hours with a week yeah and then you know tons and tons and tons of hours in a year with yeah. this person that teaches you then as an example how to treat other people and how to be a mentor because you know being a mentor is, is a lot like being a teacher or what a teacher should be yeah. it's not all teachers are like that right. um and in my line of work being a producer you you do have to sort of be a mentor and a teacher and just an overall supportive person and um early on like in school i I can maybe say she's probably the only teacher I've had who's, who's been like that, you know, yeah. um, and who's actually left a, a lasting impact. Um, and also just like allowing kids to be able to reach out to her, to be able to, to get in contact with her whenever they can um, during, you know, her curriculum. And then outside of that too, you know, after I graduated, she was still someone who I um, kept in contact with and all of that is mentorship, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I asked her directly about, you know, her whiteness and mm -hmm. about like how she would show <laughs> up in spaces. And I specifically asked her like, why don't you have problems with black and brown kids? Like, why, why are you able to sort of um, overcome racial barriers, et cetera? Yeah. And she, she didn't really, you know, she was just like, I just do. <laughs> right. You know what I yeah. mean? So I kind of want to hear it from, from a student's perspective. What, yeah. What, what that was like. What, what did you see different from her that maybe you didn't see from other white teachers in particular? Um, I think it all starts within the heart. So probably just within her heart, there just probably just was not that inherent bias. You know what I mean? But then also then there's active things that one can do to make sure that that's not a, a, a thing. And I think one of the main things was um, accountability. Um, mm. Not being afraid to be wrong. Yeah. And giving kids the space to tell her how she's made them feel. Mm. You know what I mean? And when you open yourself up to that, you don't open yourself up to being perfect. You open yourself up to to growing and learning. And, um, and also when you treat each child as an individual, you realize that how you treat them is not how you treat the next person and the next person, the next person is right. very specific and um, customized. And I think that that's really just it. I think it really just boils down to like, and also just being aware of her whiteness as well. And all of that um is is a, is another thing but i you know i think one thing that just came to my mind right now was her um desire to relate mm. probably is probably something that made that just not a thing right. you know made race not a thing it just became just like who we are as people um and then also not ignoring my blackness you know what i mean um but also not pandering to it um, honoring it, acknowledging it, and then responding to the humanity within that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's how I was there. That's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so last thing, I'm releasing this podcast episode on her birthday, which is mm -hmm. actually five days from now on the 20th. <laughs> Do you want to um, leave her a little birthday message? So 
every single birthday on Facebook, she does the, she puts the notes to happy birthday to you. Yes. Now, I don't remember those notes, but I do <laughs> want to tell her happy birthday. I love her very much. And um, her effect on this world is profound and unimaginable, honestly, more than anything. And, you know, we all have this grandiose idea of changing the world, but we want to change the world so we can change individual lives, right? And she does that every single day, um, day in, day out. She changes individual lives. And it may seem small and minute, but it, it it's more profound to me than like this quest to, you know, go out and sweepingly change the world. Um, she does it one by one by one, and I can attest to that. Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> All right. I am now sitting with another one of Gail's former students, Danny Mills. You've already heard from Michael Uzaburu about his experiences with Gail. I want to talk to Danny because Danny is another student that is close to Gail's heart, um, someone that she respects as a musician as well, someone that she has a history with. And I'm going to ask him similar questions about Gail. Uh, first, I want to hear more about him. Danny Mills is dope, dope musician. Um, been out there, been doing real work, um, been doing work with a lot of your faves. I'm going to let him tell you, <laughs> but has done work with a lot of um, a lot of your faves. And so uh, he's got some street cred in the music industry at this point. He's been doing it for a cool minute. So, Danny, tell us a little bit about what you're doing as a musician, what you have done. Give us give us all the creds. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me speak about you know this stuff it's really important it's all good. um me not as important but if you, if you must uh i'm an artist producer and a session player and so i have two projects of my own out one is the recital the other one that came out last year is called agape i'm currently especially with quarantine which has helped been locked away working on my third project there so you go doing a lot of recording right now. Um, before the industry shut down, I was touring a bunch. I was touring with uh, Jadena and um, Charlie Puth and one of Quincy Jones' newer artists, Shalea. Mm -hmm. And I've got the opportunity to just record with a bunch of people. I don't want to do a whole bunch of names, but I get to record and to play live shows with a lot of cool people who are super famous and some that you've never heard before. So very fortunate to do music for a living. Which is a beautiful thing. And one of the, one of the reasons I wanted to interview as well, like all three of the, the young people, well, I, I keep saying young people, but y'all are like grown at this I'm point. I'm old now. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but all of the former students that I'm interviewing are folks that are like, that are doing work. Like this is, this is their work mm -hmm. every day, working in the, in the music field, which I know yeah um gail cares a lot about right and respects and values so tell mm -hmm. us tell us a little bit about your relationship with gail how it came to be and and how it impacted who you are today as a musician as an artist oh, okay well that's easy gail pretty much is responsible for me as an artist <laughs> like she changed <laughs> my life completely uh because i remember uh i took her class my junior year when i was like 16 and I don't know, the year before, I think I just really thought it'd be cool to learn piano because I got really into producers 
or like every song I heard, I'd be like, man, who, who did that beat? Like who made that? Yeah. And then I was like, I need to learn how to do that. And all the producers I used to see, they all composed from a keyboard. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of like their main workstation tool. So I was like, all right, I got to learn some stuff. And I think the movie Ray had came out at that time. So like, I really was just in, the, in this mood of like playing keys. And I took her class and I really didn't want to like do the work of piano. I just wanted to write my own songs. <laughs> so when I was in her class, she would always be like, your ear is great. And you know, it's nice that you have these ideas, but I need you to read for least right now. <laughs> you know, I need you to actually, I need to grade you. You need to do things. So it forced me to learn music, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then she always was, I thought was unfair, like <laughs> so much favor towards me. I always felt like she always considered me. She always would put me first a lot of times, even though um, I don't think I was the best student in her class, but I think she saw that I was serious, hmm. like out of, you know, the 25 kids in our class, probably. She saw like I really cared about it. So I think she took the time and that takes a, a special gift of discernment to see who really, you know, is going to take what you're giving them and, you know, make it something. And then the people who are going to take it just to get the grade they need for their elective and then right. move on. And I think uh, I was her TA for that same class my senior year. So I was like, I got to suck up, you know, soak up all the information without doing all the work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the second time, which is so it was like even nicer for me. And she's just always there. I'll never forget um, this story. It was my summer between my junior and my senior year where somebody had donated an old Yamaha motif and then an old Yamaha-like recording mixer before everybody used computers to do everything. And um, it was going to sit there all summer. And I'm in her class the last day of school. And I'm, I'm, kid you not, I'm just joking. I'm just like, it'd be crazy if you just let me take that. And she was just like, oh, for real? You want that? Okay, I'm going to drop it off at your house tomorrow. And I was like, oh, I was just saying stuff. I didn't even mean it. And the next day, she drove it to my house. And I had that all summer. And that's that piece of gear that I could never afford at that time is responsible for me learning how to be a producer that whole summer. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I remember that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. But that's 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 what happened. That happened, and her mom gave me a piano. Wow. They they were getting rid of upright pianos at the house. Yeah. And she gave me a Rhodes piano that she was like, if you could fix this up, you could have it, which I still have it, which is back there somewhere. Look at that. The background. Oh yeah, it's nice. Got the yeah, blue top so it's on like, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's. I always tell people. I mention her all the time to people. She's responsible for uh, me having a life I have. Yeah. So. I do remember that you and Mickey were like in a group like yep. way long ago. And I do remember she was like, we're, you guys had a gig like in Long Beach and we drove yeah. all the way out there yep. to listen to you yep. guys. We weren't even old enough to, to be in there. <laughs> like they had us like hiding in like a closet <laughs> until it was time to play. Yeah, that, um, yeah, that was our first show. And I was, yeah, I was, I was his producer. I was Michael's producer. And then I was like on the hook. I was kind of like the... <laughs> the Pharrell, the Dre, the Kanye, like just like on the hook producer. And yeah, that was our first time. I remember that. And then we did a couple of like lunchtime rallies. 
That's so funny. that was that was interesting. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I'm listening to these stories, and it's like some of them I know, but just reflecting on mm-hmm. the sort of legacy, you know, the the legacy. Yeah. I mean, she's not gone, but like the legacy that she has. Do you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like They're even still now, doing it. yeah, it's just crazy. So one of the things I wanted to just explicitly ask was about like mm-hmm. how 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 her whiteness shows up. So. Like I asked her in the interview, okay, tell me how you're different from other white teachers. Why do you connect so well with black and brown kids? And she was just like, Uh I just do, (laughs) right? I just got it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But then I wanted to ask you guys, like what was your experience like dealing with her over other white teachers? You know, why, why was it different? What did she do differently? What can white teachers and white mentors learn from her ultimately? Got you. Well, I think with her, she did a couple of things that that stand out. One is she's 100% comfortable of being herself mm-hmm. all the time. Like she never tried to be less white. Because yeah. if you know her, you know that. Yes. And then she also respects everyone and everyone's culture. And as a music teacher, it's really beautiful because she her job as a music educator is to study black people. She has to study us yeah. because we're, we're responsible for the music that she teaches, mm-hmm. which is mainly jazz and soul, R&B, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, she plays a Hammond organ. Yeah. <laughs> like a like old black man, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, like she, she has to study our culture so she understands us. So when we, we get in a classroom setting, she doesn't have to change who she is to understand who I am. You know, so yeah. she never has to do anything corny or different or weird or like try to fit in. Like we respect her because she knows what she's talking about. And then when she plays, if you closed your eyes, you wouldn't know what color she is. You wouldn't know she's white, yeah. you know. And yeah, she just takes the time. And I think if teachers took the time to like know more about their students, like she was always like, what's the hip hop you guys are listening to? What's the, or what's the pop R&B song? You know, we'd always, ha- you know, get those snuck into our assignments Yeah. because they know, she knew that, that that would encourage us to learn. She knew that if I played John Legend, it would make me want to learn music or if we learned Alicia Keys, it would make us want to like know what the notes mean right. and actually read it instead of just like forcing us to do, you know, whatever the standard, curriculum is yeah absolutely I have to there was one thing that I remember that I think still to this day kind of makes me teary-eyed I think she was doing a concert I know I'm not going to remember the piece right now I thought it was Gershwin she was doing a concert and she was playing a Gershwin piece and it was hard and um, I remember her practicing for it or whatever, but she had asked you to be a page turner. Oh, yeah. And um, I remember like kind of pressing you, like, you just gonna turn pages like she not paying you or nothing. And then, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll never forget your response was like, are you kidding me? Like you said something to the effect of like, turning pages for Gail is like passing basketballs to Michael Jordan. And I'll uh, never forget. Like yeah, I never forget that you said that. And I, would, I mean, even today when I talk about that, I'm just like, it gives me goosebumps because you like had that level of respect for her. Sorry, I think I was getting a call. No, it's but okay. I couldn't. Um, I couldn't play that song, especially then. So for me, I was already stressed out about having to. 
turn the pages because I got to kind of read it. Yeah. I still have to keep up. I have to know where she is because mm-hmm. it's such a hard piece that she needs both her hands the whole time. Right. You can't just take a break and flip it. <laughs> so for me, I was stressed out because I didn't want to mess that up for her. So I took it seriously. You know, I was honored that she trusted me to do that. Yeah, I heard you know that. I mean? Yeah, I heard that. So thank you. Thank you again. Um, just one more thing. It's her birthday on Monday. I'm releasing this on her birthday. Do you nice. want to leave her a little birthday message? Of course. Happy birthday, Gail. I love you. If you ever need anything, if you need me to come and turn pages right now, I'm there forever, forever, forever. Don't ever pay me because you're responsible for everything that I have. As a musician, you taught me a lot of stuff on and off the stage. So I'm forever grateful and happy birthday. Thank you. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. All right. I have one more young person that I wanted to interview in regards to Gail and the work that she's been doing. I wanted to interview one of her young up and comers, Morgan Campbell. You've heard from Morgan Campbell before. She did the What If remix with Gail. She's done a lot of other things um, with her as well. But I want Morgan to just tell a little bit about herself, what she's doing musically, and then we'll go from there. What's up? What's up? <laughs> so, um, I don't know. This all started really because of a certain the mixing that I've been doing lately. But um, I'm a songwriter. I'm an artist, producer, engineer. Um been mixing lately for uh, YouTuber Deshae Frost and uh, Kelly Sweet. Um, a few other people have been writing records for people, Kyla Shanae, mixing her records and I'm also working on my own EP. Yes. Um, but I'm 19 and really just been engineering, Logic certified because of my mentors and just running with that, trying to make a living, just doing what I love. That's what's up. That's what's up. Look at you. You're in the studio right now as we speak working working (laughs) always so the first question i've been asking is just basically tell me a little bit about your relationship with gail and how it's impacted like who you are as a musician as an artist right so i met certain ninth grade i was super sad and she just from jump as a teacher and just as a person had my back and was interested in my well-being and from then um long story short i joined iman and she became my mentor, my piano teacher, taught me how to play piano, um, taught me about just music theory and um, knowing the importance of like the theory with just the creativity and bringing that together as a musician. Um, but throughout my whole journey of not only high school, but to now, she's just been the driving force in like the education part and the learning to the music now that I can use and use in like my everyday life. That's what's up. That's what's up. And y'all got logic certified together. Yes. (laughs) He paid for it. You know what I mean? Like, so it'll always, I'm grinding hard for my mentors. Know that. I hear you. I feel you. So in terms of Gail, like as a mentor, what has, what has that been like? she's like the mama you need like she's very balanced with the fun but the serious and um making it known that she cares but also being willing to be honest and upfront 
and call you out when you need to be called out, but also willing to be called out. So she's just overall like been like helping me go through my musical journey, helping me learn as not only a woman, but a queer woman in the industry, helping me maneuver how to do things and, and how to, you know, just move. I hear it. I hear all of that. One of the questions I've been asking everybody is about how Gail shows up as a white woman. Because okay. when I talked to her in her podcast interview, I was like, okay, you're a white woman. You, right. you don't have problems with black and brown kids. Like they love you. They, you know, y'all got a good vibe. So I was trying to ask her, like, tell other white people, like, how do you do this? Right. <laughs> and she was just like, I don't know. Like she had an answer, but she was just like, I don't know. You know what I mean? So I've been asking her students, you know, what have your experiences been with her as a white educator, as a white mentor, how is she different from other white folks um, who do this work? I'm trying to get people to understand, like, how can they be, how can they get on Gail's right. level? Right. <laughs> yes. No, they can't. <laughs> I oh, hate man. to say it, but no, she, I don't know. I never looked at her. I'm going to tell you, like, I be, no, no, but with her she's not I don't I don't know like just with inside of her I just really feel like she's just a genuine soul like it's not even about her color you just know she cares and she's willing to do the research willing to do um the looking into like in terms of fitting in not even fitting in but like relating to people of color and to young youth you know what I mean like I just feel like she it's just us like I don't look at her color I just feel like she's just her it's hard to talk because I just feel like she just is just a beautiful soul like simple that's yeah. how I feel you know what and that's pretty much what everybody's been saying just like she's her she just cares for people yeah and that's what she comes through yeah right so I'm releasing this on Monday which is the okay. 20th which is her birthday so okay. do you want to leave her a happy birthday message? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, I would make a song or play happy birthday, but you know, I'm getting there. But, um, well, first, happy birthday to my dog, period. Uh, thank you for investing in me, caring for me, loving me, having my back, giving me the real, giving me what hurts but might be true. Just all of it thank you for just investing in me and seeing things i didn't see in myself and just constantly just being the like just have just constantly being like there like constantly having my back whenever at any time i appreciate you you're appreciated i need you here for 100 more years so we can run up these checks and i love you so, so happy birthday thank you i appreciate you yes i love you 